0: Everybody. Welcome back to The Extra Podcast. This is episode number 262. I am Paul Siemens, one of the pastors here at Northview, and with me we have Andy Steiger.
1: I'm here. Good to be here. Been a while, actually.
0: Yep. Um, yeah. Okay, you wanna, thanks. you want to say more about that? <laughs> wanna, no, no, okay.
1: I just, just been a while, but I'm glad to be here. Good to be here with
0: mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah, last week, I think it was last week you and I were away at the... Uh, Pastors, yeah, credentialing thing together. A real,
1: I'm a real pastor now.
0: Yeah, I was credentialed. Yeah, we are official it's, it's in the official. MB conference, and Crystal. Hello. How I'm you Happy doing? to be here too. Good. So are we? Excellent. Really happy.
1: You were actually here last time I was here.
2: Ah, maybe we're on a rotation yep. together. Hmm. We didn't know that.
0: It's great. And as always, our uh, preaching pastor who is not on a scooter. Jeff yeah, Bucknam.
3: I'm the yeah. The I'm squirrels. the no- I'm not lame. <laughs> <laughs> so Ezra's
1: like cool. a robotic man,
0: bionic.
2: Yeah. He gets around really fast.
0: Yeah, his boot kind of looks like Iron Man's boot. And if you didn't know this as well, Frank, it's not as cool.
1: who leads worship over in, at our mission campus, also is on a scooter. Uh, looks very similar. Yeah.
0: They're yeah.
2: hopping up and down yeah. off that stage. They look yeah. ridiculous together.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah, definitely. And Poochie is our producer today. I and mean, he's yeah. looking... Deliberately poochy today. He's got his hat backwards, yep. and he's got a George Costanza shirt on. Yeah, and by that I mean, I don't mean it looks like a shirt George Costanza would wear. He even actually so he has got his, sh- his picture he on He kind of has George G- glasses, even with like fifteen George Costanza pictures on his shirt. So, and this is your yeah.
2: last one, right?
3: Do you have wow, a favorite?
0: Do you have a favorite George Costanza quote, Poochie?
3: Are you flaunting convention today with your George? Here Costanza he comes, here outfit? comes. This
0: is Poochie the producer. The Jerk Store called. They're running out of you. Oh, nice. <laughs> and he wow. said that right at Jeff.
1: Yeah. Yes, he was looking <laughs> directly at Jeff when he gave that line.
0: So, um, so today we're going to be uh, going into a few questions. But first, one of the things really big in the news these days is uh, Brangelina. No, it's Brexit. Same thing. Yeah. Brexit. Brexit.
3: Yeah, the uh, the British. <clears throat> decided that they were going to pull out of the European Union this last week, so what do we
0: think? Good thing yeah does this affect us? Does it matter?:
3: It's hard to say how it'll it's f- going to affect it'll us. affect the global economy uh, yeah, in some well, ways it sp- sure seems to be affecting their economy. I'm not sure that I'm not sure they're going to actually follow through on it with quite the vigor that that the vote came in. I think that there's a whole lot of uh, follow follow-on from it. We were just saying earlier, though, uh, to each other before we came on the podcast, that it is interesting. It, the, I've read quite a lot about it since it happened. It's interesting to me how many people who are part of the, the media wh- or who are posting online or whatever.
0: Celebrities. So even the, the, new, even the
3: new media. Yeah, the, the people who would be kind yeah. of part of the the elite class mm-hmm. are so astounded because they didn't know anybody at all who voted against... Who voted to leave? They all voted to remain. Uh, These people often live in London, and they all talk to each other. And so, even before the the vote came down, I think that the I think that the polls basically said that the 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 remain vote was sixty something percent. And then all of a sudden, you get this vote, and it's fifty two percent to leave. And so everyone's freaking out, trying to figure out who who voted this way, where are they, and what what are you thinking? And these people are stupid. It just It's made me realize how much of an echo chamber so much of the media has become, oh, right? Questions. This is the same thing with the Trump movement That's in exactly the United what's States, going on. is that there are people in the media who just constantly talk about how horrible Donald Trump is. And believe me, I am no fan of Donald Trump. But but it's interesting how much the media, who are paid to to cover the news and get the opinions of people and be kind of be on the ground as the representatives of the people. How they're not that way at all. They it's, actually have a viewpoint that aligns with the with usually the leftist, uh, the leftist leftist political powers, and they only know people like themselves. Yeah. And so they talk in this echo chamber back and forth. And then they're shocked that there's some guy in some guy in in, in the city of Leicester in England who's mad because he lost his job to an immigrant, or who's frightened because they don't know what to do with the possibility that, that Angela Merkel, the German chancellor, just welcomed a whole bunch of people mm-hmm. from ISIS into a country, and they have freedom of movement throughout the European Union, and they might end up on their street tune. which all might be illegitimate fears and powered by racism or whatever... But they, this, these are the challenges that real people are facing. And so it just seems like the elites are, are constantly telling the, the real people, you, you are supposed to think the way we do, and you stop complaining about it. And then finally they vote and say, no, nope, we're done with you.
0: No. Yep.
1: The, the It's interesting, isn't it? The, it's divided, and yet the, they don't, they're, they're oblivious. They're culturally oblivious to what's, what's going on. And, and then it surprises them. When the vote comes in and they realize, oh wow, there's there's actually a whole half the other population out there that doesn't agree. Well, with now
3: that. they demean the people who voted that way, yeah. which might be a legitimate thing to do. I, I don't know, mm-hmm. but <laughs> but they're demeaning them by saying you're so stupid, mm-hmm. you don't have a clue what it is that you want. You are duped by these lies that this. So in other words, you're so you're so dumb that you can't even think through these these issues. In fact, I was saying there's a there's a guy I listened to this morning when I was riding my bike here, and he he lives he lives actually in England and he's he said that well this is just a small minority of people who <laughs> who think this. And I, I was like yelling out loud it by definition, it, it was, was a majority majo- it was a majority yeah. <laughs> of people who yeah. who voted that, for. That's this. what happened
1: when a vote takes place. Yeah.
3: Why do you think Cameron resigned? I think he probably Honestly,
0: he basically tied his whole political future to this thing. He did. And then he uh, he said the last time he got elected, he said, I will put this to a referendum. And basically, whatever the results are, he's going to live with them. I -hmm. do think it's
3: also a bit of a political uh, maneuver on his part to say, oh, you guys want this?
1: Cool. Sort it out.
3: Yeah. Figure out how this is going to work for you.
1: That was one thought that went through my mind. I mean, Mm -hmm. now it's just going to be a mess to try to clean that up. It's like, I'm out. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. One of the th- it's kind of like
3: the British, it, that's, what, that's what British coaches and everybody does. The English coaches, if they lose, they
0: they're just quit. Well, yeah, I, what were they more upset about, losing to Iceland or the Brexit? I'm not actually sure.
1: One of the funniest <laughs> memes I have ever seen, though, I don't know if you guys saw this, it was floating around on social media, it was a picture of the UK flag, and on it it said, uh, they colonized over half the world, but they don't want anybody moving into their country. Yeah. Did you guys see that? I did, and yeah. I I think I laughed out loud, especially as an American, I find that particularly funny. So let me ask you a question though. Yeah. yeah. So I, I I want to
3: ask though. Okay. Say say you live, and let's let's take it out of the British context, put it in the American context. A couple of us are American here. Um. So you live in um, I don't know Tennessee or or somewhere like that, and you for a long time have had, a, well, had it no have had a job you've had a job there i don't mean to pick on i'm not picking on tennessee i'm just saying an area where there was some manufacturing maybe ohio there's manufacturing some other things that were going yeah. on uh, the government ended up signing a bunch of free trade agreements and they ended up bringing in a lot of immigration and your town maybe has had a significant influx of of maybe illegal immigrants and they've come across now, and the jobs that used to be in your town for your kids and you and things are, are actually not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, you don't have enough money for health insurance. You, you're struggling to make a living. And the neighborhood that you grew up in is completely different than what it was. It's more violent than it ever has been and you are now the minority and you're being told repeatedly by the government that it's your fault because you're you are white and male and you have the wrong political opinions mm. i'm just saying now whether all of i'm just saying that the person who's in that situation at some point ends up saying enough and they're they're i think they're, they're wrong in saying enough i think they're responding to some of those critiques in the wrong way i think there's a mature way to handle that and there are you know to, to be to become you know guarding the 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 white way of life or whatever is the wrong way of going about this and it's rooted in, in racism and other things and that all might be true but i'm just saying in re, in real terms at some point you end up saying i'm i'm tired of it and i'm
1: i'm not going to live with it anymore and i'm frightened for my kids yeah, the problem is though is is I see things is this this is such a, a bigger issue than just immigration. It, the the root of the problem is that you need these countries need immigration, and so it's like this double edged yeah. sword. So what are you going to do? Yeah. You don't aren't having enough children to even sustain well, your population. England's not
3: in particular. Yeah, the, the only way that they can get the people to work for the workforce is actually for, for through through immigration. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. so
1: what's going to happen? Are you going to have kids? You know, like, but I mean, this is part of a problem of a culture that just doesn't embrace life. No, that's right. Right. And so now, well, what are you going to do? And you don't, well, you have to do immigration, but you don't like the immigrants.
3: So Crystal, is the future of Europe and the world more isolationist or more unified?
2: More isolationist, I think. Yeah, I
3: think so too. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting, going to create some interesting challenges. I talk about these things mostly. I mean, I'm always concerned how, how are these things going to interact or, or uh, create problems or, or benefits for the church? Um, one of the things that's happened because of the Syrian refugee crisis and the opening of the doors uh, of Germany, for example, to to them, is that some people who never were able to hear the gospel under kind of totalitarian regimes that were, that were limited religious freedom are now coming into pl- cities in Germany and across Europe mm-hmm. where there are actually faithful churches proclaiming Christ to them. And there is, I, I mean, I've read several reports about like surprising conversion rates among those people who are refugees. Like they are Mm -hmm. really, it's like the Lord has has opened their hearts to the message of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so I always wonder, okay, what's that going to do now if you close the doors to that? I'm always concerned a little bit uh, about it.
2: Well, as Christians, it's always that tension is our focus on kind of worldly possessions and worldly success or eternal success. Mm-hmm. And the refugees coming here is an eternal opportunity that we wouldn't have had otherwise. But I think it it's, pushes against our, our own boundaries of protectionism. And, yeah.
1: It's interesting to me, too, that in secular Europe, what you're finding as well growing is this more of an acceptance of Christianity. Uh, and kind of this idea, you know what? Actually, maybe Christians weren't so bad after all. Really,
2: uh, yeah. as a anti-Muslim, thing? yeah,
1: because that's what you get. It's kind of this anti-Islam thing. Well, I'd rather not have the the Muslims. I'd rather have the Christians. Yeah, maybe maybe that's
3: the case. I haven't I haven't read a bunch that way about Europe. I do know that the United States is, which is behind Europe, probably by twenty years in a lot of these regards. Is very much in the in the middle of Christians are the problem with the world. Stage. Oh, you right? still have so, that. Yeah. So, all these people get shot horribly, which is just a terrible the crisis one? in Orlando. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah, what took place there, and but a, a, a clearly stated radical Muslim who calls nine one one in the middle of his his rampage yeah. to to a, a affiliate clearly with ISIS and say this is based upon my views of ISIS. So here is a that now. Has become well. The reason he did it is because Christians don't allow the, the Christian social et, the sexual, sexual ethic doesn't allow for you know LGBTQ people to have the kinds of you know uh, acceptance in the society. So like it's Christians are blamed now for that, which is very first century, by the way, right? Yeah. If the these are all right. saying yeah. if the Tiber floods or if the whatever it's the Christians, Christians burned the, Rome, it's the right? Christians to the lions. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it's the Jews faced that kind of thing uh, during uh, in Germany in 1932 with the Reichstag fire, 1933 with the Reichstag fire, Mm -hmm. and and they got blamed for everything. The communists got blamed for that, and the Jews along with them. And like this sort of thing happens quite frequently. And politicians never let a good crisis go to waste, right? It was going to push their political. I'm, I'm I'm just saying that it's we're still in the place at least in north america i think where christians are self seen to be uh, as as actually fueling the problems
1: oh without question but i think things are different in the uk in particular well, i hope so well, the other problem though is in the uk that they're dealing with like i have a I have a friend who's lives in the uk and and i was just talking with him recently and Even for him, a a white guy in the UK, he can't even dress any way that's even semi-affiliated with Islam without him experiencing uh, racist comments and feeling that he is in danger. Yeah, like that's how racially heated it is there right Mm -hmm. now. Yeah.
3: Mm -hmm. So if you're if you're a praying person and you ought to be, yeah, we can pray for uh, the gospel to go forward in these lands and that that uh, God's kingdom would come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, yep. even among people who don't yet
0: know him. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely good advice. Or we could just cast lots, right? <laughs> yes, we could do that. Which what? <gasps> nice Transition. try. We have a question on yeah. div- divination. Segway. Amazing. So a question came in. We've been talking, uh, in our sermon series lately, um, we've been preaching through the stories of uh, Gideon and how Gideon's uh, the call came from the Lord and him um, uh, rebelling against his father's idols, tearing them down, going into war, having the fleece and all these things. So divination um, and uh, things like um, uh, false worship, idolatry, things just keep coming up and coming up. And so one of the questions that came in was about divination and it is this uh, would the apostles choosing of Matthias in Acts 1 where if you remember that or if you've read that you have the apostles going okay Judas is gone uh, now there's we need another we need a 12th apostle we need to uh, name somebody to replace him so who's it going to be and they they have choice between two guys and, and it so- might
1: be helpful just to say there was some stipulations on how you could even be eligible
3: yeah the actual yeah. text it, it, you know it's it should be clarified that the actual text talks about uh, they needed to have certain character traits and they also needed to have be able to they need to have seen Jesus resurrected. That's right. I, yeah, I think it's exact phrases, but you keep talking and I'll find it.
0: Yeah. No, that's good. So they um, they have a they have a selection process that they go through, which includes casting lots. So with the apostles choosing of Matthias in Acts one. Uh, by lot, fall into the same category of divination that we see Gideon using uh, earlier when he cast the fleece out.
1: So, so to be clear here, what we got happening is guys who needed to fit into a specific category or criteria yeah. to be chosen, they narrowed it down to two guys. They're not sure who to pick. And so they end up casting lots to determine who who's going to take. Yeah, the seat verse of 26, Judas. Right.
3: verse 24 of Acts chapter one, and they prayed and said, "You Lord, know who know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Jesus tur- Judas turned aside to go to his own place." And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. He was numbered with the eleven apostles. Can I just make an interesting little comment first? First of all, there, this involves a lot of deliberation because they had to narrow it down to two people. And they had standards and stuff, so there's a whole lot of dialogue going on prior to this. So where they're trying to exercise a certain amount of wisdom, they end up with these two people, Mm -hmm. and they end up eventually casting lots. But why do they cast lots? It's interesting because they don't know the hearts of these men, Mm -hmm. which is an interesting uh, turn. We usually don't cast lots, or in other words, Lord, we don't know which one of these guys is like either more genuine or or whatever. Like we we want. We want this person to be a certain kind of standard, uh, and one of these two guys fits that standard perhaps better than the other. That doesn't answer the question. I just always found that an interesting little turn, that that's what they were after, somebody whose heart was really good. They were not saying, oh, Lord, yeah. we don't know.
2: Direction. They're not asking yeah. for direction and right. where they should go. They yeah. want
3: they want the Lord to reveal to them which one of these people is qualified, qualified for it. Still, they did cast lots in that regard. It should also be noted that after Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, we don't have any examples of this ever, when the Spirit falls. So this is actually a time when the Spirit, prior to when the Spirit actually was indwelling these men. Right? Yes. Yes. So... After that happens, you don't ever have lots being cast or anything like that. Now, that's an argument from silence, but you would think that if that was something we were supposed to do as New Covenant believers, and by New Covenant, I mean people who experience, who come to faith in Christ and the Spirit indwells us, Mm -hmm. which is different than what's happening with Matthias. Matthias did not have the Spirit indwelling at this point. So we we live in a different uh, time. Dare I say dispensation? We live in a different time.
2: Yeah, in redemption history. Uh, in yeah. redemption
3: history, than 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 what's going on here. So the question still remains: Is it is it is casting lots a, a form of divination? I, I tend to think, yeah, probably in some ways. I I do think though that this is uh, the example in this, especially at the beginning of the book of Acts, is um, showing similarly to what happened in Gideon's day. There's even in passage about Gideon. There's no there's no explicit condemnation brought to Gideon for doing this fleece. Act. But you're not supposed to read that and say, hey, we should do this too. What you do end up coming to the conclusion about is that look how the Lord uses these imperfect, weird means before the covenant, before, before uh, Christ, and before God, the Holy Spirit dwells his people. Look at, look at how the Lord is so gracious to help these people and work with them in their failings and in their maturity or in their lack of knowledge. And look, look how the Lord is kind. I would not hold this up. And I've heard it preached this way. I would not hold up Acts chapter 1 as an example to follow. I don't think you Mm -hmm. have that. I don't think it's being presented that way by Luke. I think it's being presented as an example of how the Holy Spirit is moving this church along.
2: Yeah. I think it's that challenge whenever you're reading narrative, and I know we've talked about that in this podcast before, is to keep your brain on and say, like, what's just story? What's just a description of what's happening and what's prescriptive? What's the clear teaching of Scripture? And it's not taught, like you said, anywhere in the New Testament, that this is a method to follow. There are Old Testament precedents, like in the sacrificial system and in Ooh. Jericho, I think, when yeah. Achan took the the yeah. devoted things. And so then Joshua cast lots to find out who was the perpetrator. And so I think there's Old Testament precedent. But I think that's why the, the whole uh, premise of the Holy Spirit coming upon people as part of the New Testament covenant, right. you changing think, that precedent.
1: Sorry, don't you think, too, that there's this a, a clear distinction, though, between this idea of divination and in the sense of idol worship ancestor worship where you have these people that are in, are in effect cheating on god and they're they're trying to access some sort of hidden wisdom or knowledge from these spirits that, that are out there mm-hmm. and and god you see clearly throughout the old testament uh, god saying stop that stop doing that
3: yeah but then and, sometimes he uses uses it the witch of endor Right, the well, Lord, without the Lord, question, God will the, use this, it, but it, God doesn't want him doing it. No, and that's my point. In the end, is I don't, I just don't know if it, I, I'm not going to go to the story about the witch of Endor and say, now everyone go to their nearest medium and see if they can drag up the dead spirit of their ancestors. I, that's not, that's not what's being taught there. Right, uh, Saul's not a a model to follow when he's seeking out Samuel's ghost. Right. Yeah, it's right? really the
2: end of his depre. Depravity, right. right? His slide into right. So the depravity. question,
3: the question you have to ask, I would think, is is in the beginning of the book of Acts, this a model is model to follow? I actually think taking the whole book of Acts as as your context. I think what you have in the book of Acts is the acts of the Holy Spirit done through the apostles. Do you understand? Yep. Or the acts of the apostles done by the power of the Holy Spirit, however you want to say that. The book is actually about God and how he's moving the church forward. It's not surprising to me that at the very get-go, when they are in this weird quandary and Jesus leaves them, the first thing that the Spirit actually is guiding their... their 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 decisions to do these sorts of things, and then the Spirit falls on them, and you have a different kind of approach to the ministry of the
1: Apostle Paul. I was going to bring that up because you, what you see now is we find ourselves in similar situations where we'll have something narrowed down to right. two guys, and we're going, you know, God, what do we do? Uh, but how do we deal with that now? Right, right. Well, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that we lean on, and as a community of believers, we work together. What I'm to make saying the is, I don't
3: think the Bible's teaching that you should flip a coin. I, that's what I'm saying, right? I'm I think agreed. you can flip a coin if you want to. That's fine, but you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and I think that because you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you are a person who is given, given a sufficient wisdom, and mm-hmm. that growing in grace means that you become a person who's wise in regards to what God wants. And I don't mean like what breakfast cereal you want to eat. I mean like you're wise, you become wise in terms of the values that the Lord has. And so you end up you end up trying to make decisions along these lines. Even in this passage, you start you see a little bit of that because they what do they want? They don't want the guy who's going to grow the church really well, or hey, let's get the guy who's you know going to be a real, a real entrepreneur here because we're at the beginning stages of something. Well, they want somebody who meets the character qualifications, and They're they want the they heart. want the heart to be revealed, and they don't know well enough,
1: right? Right. But that, what I'm getting at is where you find that is that the Holy Spirit then works. Not only in the individual, as you're, you know, seeking to understand or to, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, to have an idea of the person's heart, but it works through the community yeah. of believers.
3: Absolutely. So when you get to, it's funny because so you get to Acts 15, and the church has to figure hmm. out what's going on with uh, the Gentiles receiving. So in Acts two, the whole book of Acts actually revolves around this kind of Pentecost experience that the Jews have. When the tongues of fire come upon them, they speak in these other languages. They go out to Acts 8, and I think it's to be understood in Acts 8 that this same event happens among the Samaritans, even though it's not explicitly stated that this happens. But the, all of a sudden, the Samaritans receive the same thing that the Jews did. And then in Acts 10, in Cornelius and his friends, you mm-hmm. have the same thing happening. So so Peter's left with this, uh, you know, uh, what, what happened here? Like, what's the... <laughs> What's The new What's paradigm, the right. message. Yeah. and so you what they see is the Holy Spirit doing the various. In fact, they go you read the book of Acts, and so one two. sitting, and there's like a Peter. You're trying to figure out why is Peter coming back and recounting exactly what he saw. You just read that it all happened right in Acts 10, and in, then he comes back and he tells the guys at Jerusalem exactly what happened. And you read again exactly what happened, you're like, This seems redundant, but that's the whole point of it. He's trying to say, Look. What happened to us, Jews, has happened to the Gentiles. So, what's the Spirit doing here? Mm-hmm. And Acts fifteen is when they get together and they make the decision together, as kind of as a, as a council. They decide. Well, it seems good to us in the Holy Spirit, but that language of the Holy Spirit isn't isn't that the we divined it, right? We heard, woke up one morning, the Spirit. We got a, the, a liver quiver. It, it's saying, no, we're looking together at what the Lord through his providence has done. And we're making a decision together saying, it looks like the Spirit is doing this work and we should have known it all along because look at all it's written about, the Spirit going into the, or the Mm -hmm. gospel going to the Gentiles. And so, okay, seems good to us in the Holy Spirit.
2: Yeah, it confirms the message of scripture that's been there since the beginning.
3: Right, Right. here's a question for you, Jeff. Uh, But they didn't cast, my point is they didn't cast lots in that moment. And Paul, when he goes out in the mission field, he's not casting lots to figure out which place to go. He's working with the providence of God. And that's my, that's my main point in all of this. With, as, as New Covenant believers, our responsibility is to make wise decisions under the providential care of God, mm-hmm. who sometimes will interrupt you and turn your business upside down. But you take that as something that comes from the Lord, and you absolutely roll with it, because He's, he, he's got your best intentions. And by best
1: intentions, I mean eternal intentions in mind. Uh, on that note, has our elder board ever come to a split decision? And at Northview, how do we handle those situations? We cast lots. <laughs> no.
3: Uh, no. Yeah, there's been times, but you know, it, it's behind closed doors. And then there are sometimes the single person has has pulled the the entire board into you know pausing for a while about, about it. Yeah, but the discussion is is not about we we don't ever get to the point where we're like well what we should do is put out a fleece about we don't we don't ever do that because we don't believe the scriptures teach that for new covenant believers. We believe that ultimately we make decisions in community using wisdom and understanding that the spirit is with us in the midst of those. Do we look for a unanimous decision? No, nah, not always.
2: But you work towards it. Yeah, I we think.
3: use we not unanimity, but what's it what's the different word? Uh uh I can't remember the, the language, the exact language, but it's a, not that everyone absolutely agrees on something, but once you come out of the room, everyone's willing to support the mm-hmm. decision. People sometimes have a different view, feel like at least they've been heard, and that the people who have made the decision or the majority of the room uh, has heard them and taken care with it. I will say that if it was a dead split decision, we would not probably proceed in, in, in any way. It, we would take more time to consider it.
0: Yeah, it's good to have. Uh, I mean, this is one reason why we have a plurality of elders, and why we're called to have a plurality of elders, so that men who are faithful to uh, to Christ and who are faithful to the Scriptures are able to sit and and talk and discern and counsel pr- with others yeah, at times and, and pray through these things, figure
3: out what the right kinds of uh, decisions are. Yeah, as together we're yeah.
1: led by the Holy
0: Spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, because all of life um, as we live as Christians, um, uh, or so much of our life as Christians is uh, to be lived in community. And even as elders, we shouldn't be living in isolation. But um, uh, uh, one thing in our culture that we have that's a big thing here is individualism. Uh, do is you, this a segue? He is. Like, it is. He's rocking the segues. <laughs> Isn't that
2: nice? <laughs> have you planned these all out right ahead of time? No, it just... What's the all next one? It. I want Love to hear the next one. It's the providence. Spirit. The yeah. Spirit is moving. He's
0: working with the Lord's providence. Yeah. Um, so we have a question about individualism and how uh, we often talk about how individualism is detrimental to our communities. Uh, but is individualism always bad? Uh, and he goes on to ask, it seems that... We've been, we're being too focused on, or it seems that being too focused on one's community can also be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Are, you just, or are we just attacking individualism because we as a culture have taken it to the extreme? What do you guys think?
2: I think, yeah, I think that's why we're attacking it, because it becomes people become so self-centered and selfish with it. Mm-hmm. But the idea of giving up everything for the sake of a, a communal... Living isn't actually necessarily good either. It can be giving up a lot of personal um, direction. From, sorry, no, <laughs> I just had a mind blank. Okay. Yeah. yeah, personal direction from God and direction from uh, yeah, from what God's calling you to do. If you give up that all for the sake of a community, that could be detrimental to to what God's having doing in your own life. And both are true, right? Com- I yeah. mean,
3: the the thing is that J- Jesus loved me and died for me. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. Mm-hmm. So. We have language in Scripture that speaks about the individual, and the, the problem is that often in the modern world, in the f- the pressure of our culture at large is that we've been we've been pressed that the, that's the only thing we're concerned about, right? I I the communities are made up of individuals who can go and come as they w- as they will, and yes, that there's some truth in, even in, in that, but we are still a community, and the decisions that I make as an individual affect the community, and the Bible really does have an emphasis on on that aspect, Mm -hmm. that you need to be thinking seriously regarding how your decisions and your actions play out in in this community of people. Nobody's an island. Everybody's decisions, whether they be uh, in your business, in your sexuality, and whatever, it doesn't matter. The way you spend your money, they all have an influence on the wider society, at some point, and we have a responsibility toward the common good.
0: Yeah. Both and the... Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, as, and as Christians, we are, like you were just saying, the Lord is is my shepherd, but the Lord is also our shepherd. We're, we're part of a flock, right? As we see in John, him talking about... When like, we pray, we sheep. pray our Father. Right. Right? Yeah, that's right. So, um, but in our Western mindset, because uh, I've talked to people from around like other countries when I was at seminary I had I had people from China or classmates from China, Korea uh, all, all over different parts of the world and to them like being a member in a church is just like yeah I'm going to be a member of what of the body I'm a part of I'm, I I want to be a member I want to be with this community of people but here in the west we tend to have this idea that Oh, like I balk at membership because, well, I don't, you know, I don't need, I don't need the the card, I don't need the membership, I don't need the members only jacket, I don't need the. Uh, Those are worth a lot these days. Yeah, tell me about it. Um, <laughs> Still waiting for my jacket. But uh, and and you know, I I don't want to hold myself accountable to people uh, who are in authority <clears> within <throat> the church. I don't want to hold myself accountable to a community of people because question- I'm my own
1: man. The question that often will come after that, and you know, you hear that quite often, is, is the next question just naturally is, and why should I even go to church? And do you, do, does a Christian yeah. need to go to church? Well, you know, totally. you'll hear those kind of right. questions,
3: which are outrageous thoughts to the first century, the writers of Out- the church, ra- the writers of the right. scriptures.
0: You're like, what? Well, well and even fact, to believers now around the world.
1: Well, I think of Augustine and Luther, and one of the things that they talk about is how a Christian isn't somebody that's inward focused. Mm. It's a person that is outwardly focused. It's, you know, it's actually kind of interesting. There's a movie out right now called uh, "Me Before You," mm. and I mean that—that's the, the anthem sto- of a story secular of your, culture. Story mm-hmm. of your life. That's right. The
3: you Andy, Andy Steiger story.
1: That's right. But the, but <laughs> Christ, right? In the message he preached, no no no, it's you before me, and you see what does Jesus say? He says, "Well, not love the Lord your God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but love your neighbors yourself." And it's this constant pull, right? That we are all. Attracted to ourselves, Mm. we have this Mm. addiction with ourselves, and here Christ constantly is pulling us away from ourselves. Saying, "No, no, no, you need to look towards the needs of other people." Right. Well, the fruit of the spirit:
3: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Look, what's interesting to me is that the way when I was a kid or came to faith in Christ, kind of in early high school, the way I started understanding that is, oh, love meaning I feel loved, and joy meaning Mm. I have not that you give joy joy and peace meaning that I feel peaceful, and they're all internal, but it. After a while, it came to realize that oh my goodness, all of these are actually actions that one does toward others. I'm Absolutely. a peaceful person toward you. Uh, I love you. I have joy
1: expressed toward you. Know like they're all uh, other focused. It, it reminds me of the story of the Good Samaritan. Here, somebody's asking, you know, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And, he, and Jesus tells him to love your neighbor. And his first response is. Who's uh, my neighbor? Who's yeah. my neighbor? <laughs> right, because we want to get out of it. Yeah. Because uh, I, I got, you know, I'm already busy loving this guy. Yeah.
2: So do you think some of the individualism will be combated if we do experience more persecution as a church or more opposition in the culture? Or like, do you think part of it is because it's been easy to be a Christian? Nobody wants to be America? alone in a foxhole. Well, because I know like my kids at Yale, like they know who the Christian <laughs> kids are at Yale totally. because there's only whatever, 10 of them in their grade. So yeah. they know who they are and they... Band together, so yeah, I think absolutely. part of it is we've. its we it has been easy to be a Christian.
1: Well, here's so. something that's kind of interesting that goes along that. Uh, I think that we're starting to realize th- that we need each other. Yeah, you know, we've become so individualized that we're starting to see that. And one of the things that's fascinating, I was reading uh, in the Economist recently, is they have you seen this that they're making new kinds of hotels that are much more community-driven hotels. Really? Yeah, that's and great. they're and they're being put into like like urban areas in, in near homes and whatever. And and you can take a look at it. It's it's online. There's lots of information about it. But uh, the this is this, this new way of doing hotels because they're, they're playing off of this idea that people are actually quite starved for community. They're lonely. Yeah. Especially
3: a business travels are often very lonely. You can because go in- they, they have to go there sometimes for those long, you know, like they live in some of these hotels for a period of, I don't know. Three, four weeks at a time. And they just, some of the hotels, they have the studio with the kitchen and all that kind of thing, but they don't have anywhere to get to know anybody. It's hard. Anyway, sorry.
2: I was going to say, like the Starbucks and a lot of different restaurants will have mm-hmm. the big communal tables now, a lot of them, totally. where they kind of encourage yeah. people to sit even together, even if they don't know each other. Yeah. So it's an interesting play on that same idea. Oh, yeah.
1: And with our young adults, I mean, if there is one buzzword right now, it's community. Yeah. And on my terms, though. Yeah, that's the part <laughs> when right? I want it and who I want to be with. <laughs>
2: yeah, and that's, that's
3: a commodity. Different for, yeah. for a and lot which of is kind of interesting
1: because you got to coax them into it because you got to. And often one of the biggest ways we coax young adults into community is we tell them, "Listen, listen, there's there's no commitment, right?" And, right. But you have to at first because right. you got to coax because them them they're be terrified of commitment. The difficulty
3: <laughs> with community is that you end up the, the, when it really push comes to shove is when the will of the group runs against the will, uh, your will, and meaning. Everybody else wants to do something are you are you going to are you going to give in to the will of the group and go along for the sake of being part of the group or are you going to fight and say i'm going to go do my own thing Disney is telling you to do the second of those every time you do your thing man you be you right you 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 need mm-hmm. to be true to yourself that's the only thing that's worth living for right the self actualized all that so i'm still a bit skeptical regarding that. Even, if, even though I know that community is a buzzword, and I know that people say that, it's, it's community oh. for the sake of the
1: individual. Absolutely. It's still narcissism, even in our community. Yeah. But, but it, isn't that just broken human nature at, the, at its core? It's sin. But I don't know... That, that's what we fight against. I want to
3: be truthful. I want to be... Uh, I still agree with the question, though, or the statement that was made in the, in the email, that, y- yeah, but, you know, I, nobody wants... Remember the Star, Star Trek? The Borg? Yeah. No, nobody wants to be assimilated into the Borg, You're, you know, Poochie's nodding as if yeah. he would like that. You don't want to lose your identity. No, no. Yeah. Which is interesting, uh, just as an aside, that uh, the religious systems of the world, like Buddhism or mm-hmm. Hinduism, have mm-hmm. as their, their grand promise that you will lose your self, you will lose your self-identity. Christianity actually has as its grand promise that you will keep it within a community, a unified community, serving the risen king. Mm-hmm. So Christianity is the only one who actually embraces both of these things. And individualism... Hmm.
0: Well, now you can know your true identity. Right. Whereas outside of Christ, yeah, our identity is totally broken and skewed.
3: Yeah. Can I ask a question? I it's love to it. Crystal. Oh, okay. Crystal, you've had experience with sports. Yes. How have you managed as a Christian parent with sports...
2: It's Do you it's not hard. care do
3: you not care about winning? I do. Is the is the right Christian thing to do not <laughs> to not care about winning? Or nope. what do you do? You're sitting there in the stands and the coach you don't the coach isn't doing the thing, especially not toward your kid, and they're trying to you're, like you're not sure what to do. You're in this weird quandary because you're, you 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 want to be positive and support and and yet at the same time can give us some advice. Those of us who are in the middle mm-hmm. of this Pray give us some a lot advice. specifically yes. oh
2: man, like there's been nothing that's pushed my husbands and my yeah. buttons as much as being involved with our kids sports and <laughs> tested our Christian faith and our sanctification oh. and whether we're willing to keep our mouths shut and oh. how we speak about other people and other kids it is a it's a good process because it forces us to see oh so many things in ourselves that we don't want to, but it's not easy've <laughs> I've walked you know the backs of gyms just praying that God would just Take away the anger or the frustration or the. Mm.
0: Do you, I have you got, a? I I mean yeah I. So I'm just getting like my kids are, um, like early high school, middle school kind of age. I have a couple still in elementary school coming up. So I'm just kind of getting into this world of competitive sports through school, and uh, in my first or one of my first uh, experiences this year. One of my daughters had a game at a tournament. Uh, they got to the final game. They're playing against another school. And, and at their age, there was this rule, uh, because they're just in middle school, uh, there's a rule that you have to play everybody evenly, no matter how good they are or anything. So they they come up against this other team, and the other team is clearly just like three, four shifts in a row, the best players out there. And all these other people are just sitting on the bench. And I'm just sitting back. just I'm getting... I'm Seeding. inside. Yeah, I'm oh injustice. yes, yeah. seething. Yeah, I was just super angry and frustrated, and and like parents around me are like, "What's going on?" This and so finally our our other co or our coach, uh, at one of the shift changes, yelled over to the other coach, "You can't do that. What do you think you're doing?" <laughs> and so finally our coach kind of stepped in, but it just shouldn't have had to get to that point. But anyway, that was just one of my so, frustrating experiences. So Jess, do you have any?
3: To no, share? Th- these are, are so many.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this you is something, that, honestly. <laughs> I'm,
3: I'm bringing it up because it's the beginning of the summer. Yeah. And lots, lots of, of people are involved in, in BC Summer Games. There's baseball yeah. going on. There's mm-hmm. lots of people who are involved in, in basketball tournaments and volleyball stuff. Yeah. And, like, this is the time usually where you have the camps and the dedication and all that. And I actually think this is one of those questions that is often, it, it, it's not addressed very often in, by churches. Sports are, sit sort of outside the framework of Christian, uh, Christian life in some way, and there's very little teaching and leadership given to people on how am I supposed to be, remain, remain Christian and be faithful in the middle of, in the middle of these sporting events. And so I've so found a great help when I've talked to people who've gone ahead of me and i've asked them honestly how did you do it what what kinds of things that did you do i i have developed a habit so the in, i've figured out that the in, it's the injustice piece that gets us it's the injustice piece with the decisions made by a coach about who's going to play we feel like there's an injustice because either they're favoring their kid or they're doing whatever we have all sorts of reasons why it is they don't know as much, and this other person knows more, and they should have the right to whatever. Mm. There's an injustice piece in the umpiring or in the refereeing, mm-hmm. because we don't understand how this person's slighting us, and we start you know, thinking that the umpire must be friends with the whatever. And sometimes <laughs> they actually are, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then that makes it even worse we think that there's an injustice in the, in the organizations themselves. So why is it that this one team and this one group gets to get preferential treatment in their travel schedules as opposed to our team who's not getting that preferential treatment? And you find out that one of, some of the people who made the decisions actually have a background with that division, that team over there. And so then you, it's the injustice, mm-hmm. every point at which it's this sense. and So there's this righteous anger that comes inside of you, like, this is wrong, and it, it, so what do you do with something that's that's wrong, that you that you feel is an injustice? And we're we're faced with the decision. Well, you know, evil goes on when good men do nothing. <laughs> so we we feel like we should stand up for it, or should we, as Christians?
2: Well, I think we can stand up for things, but it's how we do it, right? It's whether we send emails to the whole association, c everybody. And right. making a big scene, you know, that involves five hundred people, or whether we take our concerns privately to somebody. Right. Like, there's a lot of different ways that we can decide how we're going to actually fight for what we think is right. Are so when I stormed across manner? the floor <laughs> and <laughs> yelled at the <laughs> coat,
0: I shouldn't have done that. But oh, are we going to badmouth on Facebook?
2: Are we going to do all <laughs> exactly. these pieces right that people do to get the attention or get the energy behind them?
3: Right, and I, th- I also think that there's a uh, there, there is a principle in scripture though that has a, a significant help here. That you get, you know, Romans twelve, which says, don't you know, turn the basically, uh, uh, don't love those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Uh, it, leave it to the wrath of God. Now that sounds crazy of the wrath of God. I mean, it's just sports, of course it is. But we're dealing with the realm of injustice. What do you do in, in injustice? Sometimes you, you try to make it clear, you try to do it respectfully, and you're but you're still stuck in this situation where you don't feel like your kids getting the opportunities. You don't feel like whatever. I just think. This is a place where the Lord wants us yep. to turn to him and say, "Lord, I believe in your providence. I believe that nobody, nothing is going to happen to my child. Nothing's going to happen on this floor, even if it's driven by injustice and people who are just, you know, trying to back their kids and using their power to get their kids further ahead. None of that is going to thwart your plans for my child ultimately." Mm. Your child might not be the greatest winner in baseball or hockey or, you know, you pick mm-hmm. your sport, but your child will ultimately, is ultimately being cared for the sovereign king of the universe who uses all of these things for your good and, and his good or her good, and it's, it's okay. I just think that this is something we Christian parents need to remind each other of mm-hmm. constantly, mm-hmm. that you don't, you don't need to take up arms against them. You can go home and you can pray and you can commit your ways to the Lord right? Yeah, like, and I amen. think it's
2: an, a great teaching opportunity, too, to how we teach our kids to deal with adversity. Right. Like, do we just blame politics? Do we just blame everybody else? Or do we say, well, you know what? Maybe there's something that you could do in your own play that could get you to that level. Like, how do we encourage them to persevere through the difficult times and, there's and a, be good teammates in the midst of it? So, there's, there's a lot a, of love.
3: There's a passage of Scripture that has been enormously helpful to me that I will share about this. Um, Philippians chapter 4, Mm. Where you have the Apostle Paul talking actually about money. He's talking about how the he, he's received a gift from the church, a financial gift from the Philippians for his ministry. And he says in verse ten of Philippians four, I rejoiced in the Lord all greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. What he means is you sent me the you sent me a you know a check in the mail. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So you didn't know how to show it before, but now you've shown it in this way. Not that I'm speaking... He wants to clarify, though. Not that I'm speaking from, of being in need, though. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So there's mm. your principle. Yep. Yeah. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Mm. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. So in other words, whether I have a lot of money or a little money, this applies very much to winning and losing. Okay? So when things are going really well or they're not going so well. If my business is making a lot of money, or it's not making much money. If my kid is getting all the opportunities and hitting every ball out of the park, or he's striking out a whole lot. I have I have learned the secret. There's a secret, he says, of contentment here, which is, I would think, something that everybody who has children in these situations wants to know, because we desperately want our children to win and experience the joys of all those things. In fact, we want them to win every time. <laughs> but he's saying that... That he's had this secret of contentment. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, which is the Philippians four thirteen. And they, you know, all the basketball players put on their shoes and things. But I, they rarely know the context of this text. And what it what it's saying is that even in, in the greatest victories and in the greatest losses, there remains a consistent, and that is that you have Jesus, and He's enough. So. You can you can go away from the sports field, away from your finances, away from everything. You you can go away from it all, knowing that that Jesus is the greatest treasure. He's the greatest winner's medal. He's mm-hmm. and you have that ultimately. So whether or not you have a lot of money, little, a lot of victories, few, you have Jesus. Amen. When that happens, I think it changes our viewpoints to things mm-hmm. on the floor, or on the field, or in on the ice. I think it changes our attitudes toward winning and losing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Try your best. Work your tail off. Everybody mm. wants to have plenty. Yep. Believe mm-hmm. me. Go, go like crazy. Give all the commitment that you can. But at the end of the day, when you're done, you got Jesus.
2: Amen. And our goal as parents should be to foster that character in our kids, right? right? That that should be their ultimate.
3: But do realize that Paul only learned that lesson because he had need, yep. right? Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't actually learn the secret of contentment if yep. you don't fail mm-hmm. a little bit. You don't, yeah, Yeah. which requires you to sit by and watch the umpire call horrible calls sometimes. Yeah. And you have to sit there and open your Bible on your phone <laughs> and read Philippians 4 and Romans 12.
2: Or pace the outfield. And,
3: or then you get up because you're afraid that you're going to scream See. at someone and you walk out the to the The best thing to do, yeah, yeah. move and yourself you from the situation. <laughs> put your headphones in, still watch the game, but you listen to soft music. <laughs> Lord bless you guys all in your all of your sports
0: this summer. Amen. Well, that's it for today's podcast. So, join us next week. We'll be on to episode 263 and uh, say goodbye to Poochie. This is the last episode of the See you.